Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. In most places around the world, political leaders are expected to serve as presidents or prime ministers. Hong Kong is an exception. Its top politician has the title of chief executive. This reflects a couple of important points about the city. Firstly, it's not a country, but rather a special administrative region of the People's Republic of China. Secondly, the job of the CEO is to manage affairs in accordance with the wishes of the Central People's Government. Carrie Lam has been Hong Kong's CEO since 2017. However, she won't run for the job again in 2022. So from May this year, Hong Kong will get a new leader who will be commissioned to keep the mood of the city in harmony with the motherland. Today, we'll be talking about Carrie Lam, her potential successor, and the key role that Beijing plays in managing Hong Kong's affairs. For some people, these are emotive issues. So I'm pleased to welcome back as a guest on the podcast, a skilled journalist who can analyze politics for us objectively and calmly. He's Howard Zhang, the editor of the BBC's Chinese service. Howard, thanks so much for accepting our request to take on this sensitive topic. Thank you, Duncan. Now, Howard, Carrie Lam says that she's stepping down for family reasons. What do you make of that claim? Myself, as well as most China watchers, do have the feeling this is more a decision directly uh, coming from Beijing rather than Carrie Lam's personal decision. And uh, many analysts have already cited her very recent, as recent as uh, October 2021, a main policy address. In that address, she outlined some very ambitious policies and blueprints for her political career as well, setting out measures aiming at tackling things such as housing shortage, re-energizing the entire Hong Kong economy, and uh, watch over Hong Kong's integration with mainland China and the long-term strategies. So for someone who's no longer willing to stand for election in the coming month, it's unlikely she would spend all that time coming up with this major strategic paper. So uh, that's one of the uh, things most people point to as uh, you know, her decision to step down actually was made for her. Well, her term in office has certainly been full of drama. There were the street protests in 2019, then a clampdown by China, then COVID. How has she fared as a leader through all these upsets? I will again quote a few uh, major newspapers. Uh, Wall Street Journal recently wrote, the death of free Hong Kong was planned in Beijing, but Carrie Lam will go down in history as its chief executioner. Uh, UK's Independent wrote, Lam once declared she must serve two masters, Beijing and the people of Hong Kong. But critics say her tenure reflects how she bowed to China at the expenses of the city's liberties. And the spectator of the UK also said Carrie Lam became Hong Kong's chief executive in 2017. She positions herself at that time as a candidate for unity, but five years on, unity is the least thing people are seeing. So uh, all these reviews and papers, I think I can go on, most point to her legacy as essentially a failed CEO for Hong Kong. 
Well, let's talk about how Hong Kong's chief executive is chosen. On Carrie Lam's official website, it says that she was elected and appointed by the central people's government. Well, I'm a little confused. How can someone be both elected and appointed as a CEO? I guess the way to understand the, uh, or to become less confused is uh, see it instead of an election, more uh, accurately describe it as a selection uh, because uh, Hong Kong CEO uh, would be, you know, in conceptual terms, the same as London appointing a governor to Hong Kong. There, there, there will be no difference in that sense. Uh, from the past choices of Beijing, if you look at the past four uh, CEOs of Hong Kong, it's always been the case that the Beijing's chief representatives in Hong Kong, you know, Beijing's hands in Hong Kong, would make recommendations back to Beijing. And then the mandarins in Beijing will go through these recommendations and finally make a decision. Once that decision is made, a formality will follow through and the pro-Beijing uh, legislative or uh, the, the powers, the local elective power body will then put through this person to become the CEO. That's always been the uh, process. So you mentioned actually the colonial background here when uh, London appointed a governor for Hong Kong. Uh, what do you make of this process now to choose a chief executive for Hong Kong? How does it compare to the previous political systems in the city? Under the British control, Hong Kong uh, politically had a uh, appointed governor, but the legislature, which was made up with many as well appointed for a long, 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 long time until towards the very, very last days of the colonial rule, was also largely appointed representatives. But because Hong Kong at that time run the British civil service system, and uh, there was a, a very efficient anti-corruption system built in, so in many ways, people felt they, their daily lives run smoothly. And uh, so overall, businesses, uh, citizens did not feel that much uh, anger or feeling of injustice towards the daily running of the city. They just felt they were all, you know, most of the uh, Hong Kong citizens were from one time or another uh, immigrants from the mainland. So. They were here under the British control. They tried to make their good living, make money, and uh, went on with their days. And uh, that was how the British colonial era uh, you know, functioned. And most people did only towards the end start to have uh, political uh, aspirations and uh, wanted uh, democracy and freedom when they witnessed what happened in Tiananmen, when they witnessed what happened in mainland China. And uh, that was the main push uh, for uh, the, the more indigenous kind of push for a pro-democracy movement. And, uh, but today, I guess the what the Chinese wanted to do is to almost restore the British format of a completely uh, appointed and safe hands running the city type of system, but the population has moved on. I guess that's the uh, dilemma and, and the uh, building conflict we're seeing. 
Now, Carrie Lam's departure leaves Chief Secretary John Lee as the most likely person to take over. What do we know about John Lee? He is uh, simply known as, uh, for many in Hong Kong, as the security czar. That's the term pe many people uh, tend to refer to him. And uh, he's a uh, former police officer, previously served uh, also as secretary of security under one of the previous CEOs, and uh, first joined the Hong Kong Royal Hong Kong Police Force under the British control at age 20 back in the 70s. And then he rose through the ranks and eventually became a staunch supporter of uh, both the extradition bill, as well as the National Security Act uh, from Beijing. So uh, in many ways, he can be seen as a strong hand and uh, can be, some even describe him as a potential iron fist and a long-term police security chief. So that's, I guess, uh, in summary, his uh, brief description. So what you're saying then it is, was that he was a supporter of the extradition bill, and then he was a supporter of the national security law. That was the controversial legislation that was imposed by Beijing. I'm taking from what you're saying that he's a very pro-Beijing politician. Yes, I think we can say that through the track record and uh, looking at his track record. Uh, also, he's been a very effective national security, police affairs type of administrator. So that's his strength. Well, my friends who live in Hong Kong are careful what they say about politics these days, but they aren't afraid to express their frustration over the handling of the COVID crisis and the subsequent lockdowns. They say it's been hugely disruptive for people, but especially for students and parents of school-aged children. Do you think these domestic matters are more important to Hong Kongers than concerns about the degree to which Beijing guides the decisions of the chief executive? chief executive to most Hong Kongers now, from the people we talk to, from the scholars that we engage with, uh, are, they, they, they do start to see this more as a formality and as a signal more from Beijing. If Zhang Li were to become the next uh, CEO of Hong Kong, people know clearly that this is a signal from Beijing that the next CEO will take care of national security first and foremost, and Hong Kongers other concerns will become secondary. Uh, in terms of COVID and the difficulties people experience day to day, those are short-term, more immediate concerns. Of course, people will voice their anger more and uh, their angst about what's gonna happen next week and jobs. And uh, those are things day to day people have to deal with. But in the long run, I guess uh, it's a matter of for people to start to make adaptations, adjustments, and uh, Hong Kongers who, uh, you know, whether it's the citizens who live there or the students coming from uh, mainland, they start to make adaptations for the future now, seeing the clearly signals coming from Beijing. Your colleague, the BBC's China correspondent, Stephen McDonnell, recently wrote about Carrie Lam on the BBC website. I'll read you what he said. During her time in power, Hong Kong became a place of state oppression where political opposition has been obliterated. And he carried on by saying, history books will show that she was Hong Kong's chief executive when the city's freedoms collapsed. 
well, Howard, I appreciate as editor of the Chinese service that you need to be a little bit careful in what you say. But what's your view of Stephen McDonald's verdict on Carrie Lam? I don't think Stephen is uh, alone in his assessment. I can refer back to some of the uh, quotes we uh, talked about earlier on. I think most independent media worldwide have come to the same verdict, that uh, it's evident over the past five years that uh, however much she initially said she wanted to be the ones who unite the city and serve both Beijing and Hong Kong people. But at the end of day, it's evident that she could only achieve one thing, which is to uh, follow Beijing's will or Beijing's decisions. I think that's the bit she succeeded. And in terms of uh, making sure she served Hong Kong people's interests, that's the bit really open for the Hong Kong people to comment on. Thank you, Howard, for explaining the Hong Kong situation to us. I found your answers most revealing. That was Howard Jiang, editor of the BBC's Chinese service. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And you can find out more about our courses and research soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.